Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. I'm Grant Wall, and our guest today is the first American ever to manage a team in the English Premier League. Bob Bradley took over at Swansea City recently. He was the U.S. men's national team coach from 2006 to 2011, and he has also coached Egypt, Norway's Staubach, France's Luave, and three MLS teams, Chivas USA, the Metro Stars, and the Chicago Fire, in addition to work at Princeton University and other places in the college ranks back in the day. Thanks for joining me, Bob. All right, Grant. Good to uh, speak to you. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, First off, congratulations on a historic achievement for an American to coach in the Premier League. Well, thanks. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. It's uh, a great opportunity, but obviously a big challenge. So uh, uh, with it comes responsibility and when you take a job, you know what you're getting into. So uh, when when a team is uh, going through a tough stretch and, and makes a managerial change, you know that uh, as soon as you get in, um, there's a lot of work to be done, and that's what's been going on for almost a month. We are speaking on November 1st, the day after uh, a loss at Stoke. Um, you've had three games with Swansea so far in the league, earning one point in those three games. It's early, obviously, but how do you describe your experience there so far? Uh, the experience uh, has been excellent, but uh, again, there's an understanding of everything that needs to be done. Um, when I say excellent, uh, great people in Swansea, there's so many people at the club that have been around for a long time and... Uh, uh, they they have been the, the the lifeblood of the club. They they talk about the history. They've seen it through tough times, and, and when you're part of a club like that, there's a great feeling. Um, the players have responded really well. Uh, I think that uh, training has been been good, and and uh, they've enjoyed what we're trying to do. But as you're, you're working in those ways, there's also a, a clear understanding that uh, um, even if things are going in a good direction, there's a need in the short run to get points. And so after three matches, uh, I think we're a little disappointed. Um, you know, there were positives uh, in the first match away at the Emirates against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lose 3-2. Uh, you know, we found ourselves down early. We came back, made a game of it, had chances uh, late to tie. Uh, Arsenal, Shaka uh, got sent off, and, uh, and and we pushed late, but couldn't uh, get the equalizer. Uh, we came home to Watford, um, had our first clean sheet, which was important. I made some changes uh, for that match, played uh, a young combination in the center in the back, which mm-hmm. I thought... Uh, uh, was important because in, in many uh, of the games before I arrived and against Arsenal, I didn't think our play uh, in the center of the defense was as solid as it needed to be. Uh, but we also had chances uh, against Watford and uh, like like anywhere in the world, uh, you have to take advantage of, of, of certain opportunities. Uh, I think there's certainly work to be done uh, as we go forward in terms of timing, in terms of movement in the box, uh, the, the little details that, that become so important in order to take 
advantages and turn them into to goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still came out of that match, uh, again, positive, uh, especially because of the, the shutout. Uh, last night in Stoke, uh, I would say, was, was disappointing. Um, uh, game at night, Monday night football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the game at night at times is faster. Uh, and, and I think in, in certain parts of the game, when it came to physical duels and one-on-ones, I think we came up, uh, second best. And, uh, if you, if you lose some of those type of duels, if you, uh, if your reactions as a team are a little bit too slow, then, then you put yourself in a tough position and, and we still, we still make some mistakes, you know, we still make mistakes where. Uh, you know, we've given up a couple goals on set pieces, not on the first part of the play, but where we don't clear the ball well enough and it ends up, uh, staying in our box and, and we're not able to, to handle the second phase. So, you know, again, when I, when I go through a list of all these things, uh, yes, it's the premier league, but these are the kind of, uh, details that, uh, I think all coaches look at. And when you come into a new situation, uh, you try to assess what has the team been doing, what part has gone well, uh, what are the, the main reasons that the, uh, the record isn't what it should be. Uh, you start trying to figure out what each guy's all about and, and maybe what the best team is going to be. So there's a lot to do when you, you, you first uh, jump in. And, and as I said, I think the work uh, has gone well enough, but with it, there's got to be results. So uh, with with Man United coming up uh, on Sunday, home match before the international break, uh, you know, today was a day of uh, a lot of video uh, and, and making sure that uh, that we can learn from some of the, the games that we've played and, and figure out ways to get better. Just moving backward a little bit, how did your contact with Swansea first happen and then progress? It's always the same. Uh, a club uh, starts thinking uh, about about what's out there if they make a change. Uh, you know, oftentimes then uh, they find a way to make contact. And it's interesting because it's always done... Um, with the idea that uh, we're not sure what we're doing. We don't know if that change is going to come in a week or a month or six months, or maybe it won't happen. And, and, you know, whenever I've had these kind of initial discussions, uh, I've always said the same thing at the end of the the meeting. I I tell the people involved that uh, I hope things go well in in the coming matches because uh, I always think about uh, the guy who's on the job and the fact that, uh, you know, when, when a team's not going well, you, you want to see uh, that team respond to his work. And so it's not like you end that meeting hoping that they lose and hoping that now you'll get your chance. You actually hope that that team can pull itself together and move forward. But you still have to try to speak uh, about who you are and see uh, what they have to say and, and then go from there. So I've had many of these kinds of discussions in the past, but, but in this case, uh, 
Swansea lost a tough match to Liverpool 2-1 after being ahead. And uh, the decision was made to make a change and uh, a second meeting was arranged. But uh, that's pretty standard. How detailed was the research you did on Swansea's players before your interviews with the club? I knew I knew what I was talking about, but uh, I was also in the midst of uh, a busy schedule at uh, Luav. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so uh, for me, you, you go in and uh, you talk realistically about what you've seen. I had watched uh, a number of their games uh, earlier in the year, and uh, I certainly was aware of uh, some of the success Swansea has had in recent years. When Roberto Martinez was the manager, when Brendan Rodgers was the manager, Michael Laudrup, uh, a little bit about the history of the club. But uh, in those situations, uh, in in my opinion, you don't go in acting like you've got all the answers for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, in some cases, I was quick to point out that uh, until you work with a player up close every day, you're not really sure whether or not he's better playing a little more forward or a little deeper. You don't know if it's a player who, uh, if, if at times uh, he's a little slow to, to pick up details. So, you know, you, you have a starting point from watching uh, different matches. Maybe in some cases, you know, people who know some of the players, but uh, I think you're kidding yourself if you go into that situation pretending you know everything uh, there is to know. You met with Swansea chairman Hugh Jenkins during this interview process. How would you describe Jenkins and what he's looking for at Swansea? Uh, Hugh's a, a really smart man, and uh, he's worked with a lot of top managers, and he understands um, the culture of the club. and so. Uh, you know, he, he handles the interview process by posing some different questions. But uh, again, it becomes a football discussion more than anything. And, and for me, uh, I've always enjoyed the opportunity to, to talk football with people who uh, have experience, to share my ideas, to hear what they have to say. Uh, I don't go into those situations thinking that it's uh, my responsibility to sell myself. I I go into those situations trying to give the person on the other side of the the table an idea who I am and and then try to get an idea of of what that person's all about and what they're looking for and what they think is important in the club. Does he like, does he want a particular style? Does he express that? There is a feeling about the Swansea way or the Swansea style. And what that means more than anything is uh, that with some of the managers I mentioned, that uh, um, the team uh, had a sense of possession. The team passed the ball well to watch. So there's an understanding of that. But uh, I think with all of you's experience, there's also a sense uh, at any different time that you have to uh, understand the strengths and weaknesses of the group of players you have and try to figure out what's going to be the best way to, uh, to make that team successful. This was not the first time you've taken over a club during a season. You did that at Loav as well. 
when you don't have a preseason with your players, what are the most important things to do when you first start with the team? Yeah, it's difficult going in in uh, in the middle of the season. It's it's by no means ideal. And as I as I said earlier, um, if a team's making a change in the middle of the season, that means that things haven't gone well. Uh, and so for me, you need to uh, to get in quickly. Try to assess what's been going on. Try to get an idea uh, what. Uh, each player is all about, um, you know, again, when you think about specifics, what have they been doing in training? Um, uh, what has been the focus uh, from the games? What kind of goals have they been given up? Are they creating chances? Uh, has there been a consistent lineup or has it been changed uh, in terms of trying to find the best combination? So you've got so many different things that you've got to, quickly start trying to look into uh and and the best part of it is just getting onto the 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 training ground and and starting to see what it looks like in training every day uh in in this particular case uh you know i think there was a feeling uh, that uh the team had had gotten away a little bit from uh the kind of intensity in training that sharpens players up that that really gets them um, uh, at, at the right speed in terms of reactions and making plays. Uh, Francesco Guidoline, uh did a lot of tactical work. I think that's always important. But the balance in all that so that players still are sharp from training, uh, I think there was a feeling that maybe some of that had slipped. And, and again, it's, it's just... Uh, uh, standard that if a team goes through a bad stretch, um, there's going to be players who are, are going to have ideas on on maybe what's missing. That doesn't mean that in every case uh, they've got it all figured out, but you have to understand a little bit where they're coming from. Uh, and then you have to go in and uh, start to establish your ideas. And and that's uh, in, in the middle of a season, that's got to be done in a smart way. Uh, you've got to, you've got to understand what they've been doing. Uh, you have to listen, you have to observe, and then you start to try to add into it. But, uh, I don't think it works if you come in with some entirely new idea of football. Uh, I, I think oftentimes when a team goes through a bad stretch, loses some confidence, uh, Basic things start to uh, slip a little bit. Mm. Uh, I think uh, reactions. I think uh, uh, the the idea of closing down an opponent, that in many cases guys are a little slow to get out. Uh, when a team loses confidence defensively, you see uh, players that back off a lot. And that means that the other team always has that extra time on the ball to find uh, uh, the right option. And, and so for me, you, you, you start to lose some, some, some basic things. You start to become a little bit easier to play against. Uh, I think it oftentimes manifests itself in, in giving away soft goals. So, uh, you know, you look hard at some of those things. And uh, for me, over the years, one of the things that, that you try to do is to just raise the 
the the level of training every day mm-hmm. uh, to to when when I say intensity uh, that's that doesn't mean intensity in terms of uh, uh, anything that that's that's crazy that means that that uh, players put the closest opponent under pressure so that 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 player has to make a decision faster. That means that when you go to close a player down, you do it in a way uh, where as you get close, uh, you have to arrange your feet and you have to make a decision. Do I actually go for the ball or am I the one to put pressure uh, just to, to make it difficult and then everyone else can tighten up? So, so again, it doesn't mean intensity in the sense that training becomes more physical. It doesn't mean that there's there's more fouls or more physical duels. It has a lot to do with just closing down space, taking away time, because everyone knows that, that the higher the level of the game, the less time, the less space, and the best players do things uh, in microseconds. They, they, they receive balls already knowing everything that's around them, the way their body position uh, is as they receive their their sense then of how to use the first touch, um, how to use the right number of touches. So these are all all little details. Uh, you know, one other thing that that uh, they talked about here is that uh, Francesco played a lot of two touch in training. And mm-hmm. again, there's there's value in playing two touch or three touch. But having said that. Uh, you know, you don't want players like Mo Barrow playing two-touch every day. And uh, if, if uh, defenders never play against players who are dribbling and try to go by them in training, then uh, it's it's difficult when they face those situations in the game. So, you know, there's there's just so many little things that, that uh, maybe start to get lost a little bit. And then you, you try to get your hands on as many of them as possible. And and see day by day if, if uh, it can be improved. You've had some close relationships over the years with some special players. I'm thinking of guys like Mohamed Abutreka with Egypt, uh, Peter Novak with Chicago, Christo Stoichkov with Chicago, others as well. Yeah, there's some it's, Americans on that list too, by the way. Th- there are. Enough. There are. There are. <laughs> Sometimes I, I hear all those names, but but again, if, if you talk to uh, Chris Armis and Jesse uh, Marsh and C.J. Brown and Zach Thornton and guys that played in Chicago, uh, you know, I think uh, if you talk to uh, Ricardo Clark and Eddie Gavin and Mike McGee and some of the young guys we had in New York, uh, Brad Guzan, and Sasha Kleston, Johnny Bornstein. Um, you know, Ante Razov, I had a number of different situations. So fair yeah, point. I've been, lo- I've been lucky over the years. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I've had, I've coached guys uh, with different backgrounds. I've coached guys with a lot of experience. I think I've uh, uh, had a really good chance to work with some young guys and help them uh, move forward in their careers. So I, I take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, I, I guess I know it's early, but I mean, are, are those types of relationships starting to develop with any of the the Swansea players? Are there some players on that team that, because of their stature, you want to get sort of closer to maybe a little more quickly? 
you try to figure out everybody. You try to get a sense as to what makes a guy tick um, uh, and, and, and how to engage them, how to, how to find the right way. Uh, it's different with everybody. I mean, I mentioned Mo Barrow. He's a, he's a talented player. Um, but certainly when you deal with Mo Barrow and uh, start to look a little bit at his football, it's a very different situation than if you're dealing with Fernando Llorente, mm-hmm. who obviously uh, is older and has had way more experience. But but all players, uh, uh, you know, I, I think they respond if you find the right way. And uh, my experience over the years is that uh, players still want to be coached. And then, you know, I, again, every now and then you hear uh, people who go on and, and, and talk about how, uh, uh, you know, I have a reputation. Oh, I'm intense. Uh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm very serious. Um, but having said that, uh, I, I think um, so many of the different guys over the years would also say that uh, as much as you use the football part as a starting point to know a little bit about their family, to know a little bit about their background. Mm. Uh, you know, I had a, a, a really great experience with a, a really talented young left back at Louvre named Fairlone Mendy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when, when I got to Louvre last year, uh, you know, people – uh, people weren't sure about Fairlawn. You know, he, they talked about uh, he, maybe he wasn't the best guy. Some people didn't think he was the smartest guy. And, and I, 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 I asked the, the staff that had been there whether any of them had ever taken the time to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, at that time, uh, I was still piecing some French together and, and Fairlawn doesn't speak much English. But there was a, a coach from the academy who did some translating named Michael Bunel. Mm-hmm. And so one day, Michael and I sat with Fairlawn and I started asking him questions. I wanted to know about his family. Uh, his family background was uh, his, his parents had come from Senegal. He was the youngest of seven kids. And in the process, uh, you, don't, you, you started to get a sense as to uh, what he was all about. And, you know, I said to him at, at one point, uh, uh, you know, the, the, some people think you're not a great guy. Mm. And he kind of looked at me funny. And, and I quickly said, uh, I never go by what anybody else tells me. I make my own decisions. Mm. And uh, I said, uh, uh, I think you're a pretty smart guy, but, but you have to figure out how to show other people you're smart. You have to figure out how to show people that you're a good guy. You know, you have to earn respect. Nobody can do it for you. And, and at the end of the discussion, uh, Fairlawn walked out the door and uh, Michael looked at me and said, uh, incredible. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that there's so much more to him than anybody uh, here had ever figured out. Uh. And so, you know, look, you have many of these kind of experiences. I, I, I can, uh, I have a pretty good memory, so I can still remember, uh, uh, you know, some tough one-on-ones with, with guys at Princeton, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I had one with Jesse his freshman year where, uh, yeah, I mean, he was maybe, I think I teased him that, uh, um, 
he was spending a lot of time with uh, guys that had gone to the best prep schools in the United States and understood, even if they did no work, how to write a good A- minus or B-plus paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I made it pretty clear to Jesse that uh, uh, I didn't think that his background, that uh, I always say Jerome I. Case, uh, put him in that position. And mm-hmm. that his way of handling Princeton needed to be different than those other guys. Other than that, his uh, opportunity was going to get tossed out the window. Mm-hmm. And so these kind of discussions over the years with with guys, not to be a hard ass but to to let them know you care and and caring is not always telling people what they want to hear but sometimes it's it's challenging them to to be better or or look harder at themselves and so you know i think that this is all part of uh the work that you do every day and uh i've always enjoyed that part well the phrase i've always sort of associated with you is that you like to have real conversations with people and that includes players that includes coaches that includes media i I can remember conversations with you in 1993 like that um i guess one question i have is now that you've coached players of so many different nationalities in different countries in different regions of the world does that go over how does that go over with everyone? And does it take some cultures or some people from some cultures longer to adjust to your style, which can be pretty direct? Uh, you try to understand each culture. I mean, because there are differences. There's no two ways about that. But uh, the ability to, to connect with people, yeah, it's, it's, it's direct, but it's, it still shows you care. It's still honest. It's still... Uh, uh, it's still with uh, a sense of uh, what you think that person can do to make himself a better player or a better person. And so, yeah, there's always going to be uh, people who take it wrong. Uh, you know, I, I, I still, I, as much as I, I throw out some names of guys that, uh, you know, I, I have had very good relationships with, I'm not going to give you the, the names of others where, for one reason or another, we didn't hit it off as well. And, mm. and even when they look back, uh, you know, they talk about uh, uh, they talk about the the days when maybe you were trying to challenge them to make a point, and they forget many of the other discussions or many of the other good days or fun days. But no, listen, that you can't you can't worry about that. But uh, you know, when when you in different places. Um, one thing doesn't change. Uh, uh, if players have character, if players have intelligence, if players care about the team, and now they see that somebody uh, is there and cares about the same things, uh, that usually gives you a good starting point. Okay. Your first press conference at Swansea was by turns entertaining, revealing, and I thought fun. What did you want to get across in that first press conference? I just wanted to be myself and, uh, and then make sure that people know who I am and where I came from and, uh, and then know that I'm, I'm here for the right reasons. Uh, I, I understand the responsibility and, uh, 
and then we can see uh, how it all goes. But uh, I, I've learned a long time ago that uh, you can't try to fool people and, and get away with it, uh, not at a good level, uh, and that you better believe in who you are and you better uh, be confident in being yourself. I've always told people that I've coached that. I know I've told my, my own kids that over and over and over. And so uh, on that day, uh, you know, for me, that was important. Uh, I don't think that's, that's the first time, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I don't remember when it happened, Grant, maybe it was at the world cup or just before the world cup. But I think there was a day when I told uh, uh, the U S media, I think I joked or teased and said, uh, how come after all this time I have all you guys figured out and none of you have figured me out? <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I think I'm pretty good at that. And I, 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 you know that I've always, in, in some of our uh, off-the-record conversations, I've always challenged you to, to look deeper into things and to yeah. think more about things. Because, you know, I, 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 when it comes to... Uh, journalists, uh, writers. I, I love people who who see beneath the surface. I know I love reading where somebody has really gotten to the bottom of something. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in today's world of journalism, that's harder because uh, uh, editors are looking for certain things. And you know, in so many cases, there's a, a social media level of reporting and writing. Um, that's not very interesting because it's based upon hearsay and it's based upon speculation and rarely does it get deep into uh, what somebody's all about or how somebody thinks or what makes them tick. And, and yeah, I, I, I certainly enjoy whenever I read something that's more in depth, um, you know, in, in the world of journalism, so many of you guys, uh, uh, you know, you love Ray Thompson because uh, every now and then he he gets deep into something. Of course, he gets to space and uh, it, it's not something that every writer gets, but he also uh, probably has earned it. So I'm still someone that uh, I respect good work. I respect intelligence. I, I, I love good discussion with people who can challenge me. So that's always been important. Well, one thing about my friend Wright Thompson, who I'm sure will appreciate uh, what you just said, is he likes to write about fathers and sons. And you did mention your father in your first press conference at Swansea. And I'll admit it, I, I have always been fascinated by your father, who I'm told has had a major influence on you and your two brothers, uh, Scott former Major League Baseball player, and Jeff Bradley, who's been in sports media for decades. Could you tell me a little bit about your father's story and his influence on your family? Uh, sure. Um, uh, I'm not going to get deep into his background. I've done it occasionally. But, uh, you know, suffice it to say that uh, uh, he didn't have it easy. And uh, uh, when you know you you you're put into a state home at a young age, when you and your brother are uh, uh, you know then taken in by a different family, 
there, there's a lot there that's not easy. But, but out of it all, um, what was clear is that when my father got married um, and had three boys, that the most important thing to him was family. The most important thing was uh, that those three boys uh, uh, stuck up for each other and in, were in touch with each other and, uh, and that that part never changed. And, and along the way, uh, as the oldest, I've, I've challenged my father the most because uh, I'm not sure uh, after the years when I was uh, coaching at Princeton, I'm not sure it made sense to him to, to leave Princeton and, and say, all right, it's time for a new challenge and, and move away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've moved uh, to different places. And that means at times I haven't been as close uh, uh, geographically to my mom and dad as I would like. Um, but the, the understanding of family, the understanding of uh, uh, making sure that, that uh, you know what's going on in your family, that everybody's close, uh, that all comes from my dad and, and, and you know, man, look, and my mom. I mean, yeah. we, we were incredibly lucky uh, the way we were raised. Uh, there was so much love in our house, but, but again, it was also done where that was responsibility and things needed to be done the right way. Uh, one of my favorite stories about my dad uh, is, is this. Um, if it snowed, then it was my responsibility to shovel the driveway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the oldest. And so I, I don't know, I was in fifth grade or something and I came home from school and it had snowed. It wasn't a big snowfall, but I always thought that, yeah, you know, my dad will get home at five o'clock and I think I got home from school at three and I figured, so what I can do is across the street was the field and the basketball courts. And I think I can go and shovel that basketball court and play basketball for uh, 45 minutes or an hour and still have enough time to get home and shovel the driveway before my dad gets home at five o'clock. And uh, so I had a great plan. And so I got there you know, maybe to shovel, we didn't have a, a big driveway, so maybe it would take me half an hour. So I think I got home at 4.30, so I could finish the job. And when I got home, the driveway was already shoveled. My dad's car was in the driveway. And I went in and I said, uh, I was going to shovel the driveway. And he goes, I already did. And I said, well, I was going to do it. And he goes, I got home. It wasn't shoveled, so I did it. <laughs> and he never yelled. <laughs> but what he did was make it clear that, look, you had a responsibility. When I got home, it wasn't done. So I did it. Mm-hmm. And that lesson stuck with me because, like I said, he never yelled. He never made a big deal out of it. There were other days when if he wanted to yell, he could. But but he made sure that we understood about doing things the right way. And, uh, you know, he and my mom are uh, 84 years old. Uh, they're in good health. Uh, we're very lucky for that. And he still makes sure that all of us do things the right way. And uh, he can be pretty direct as well. So uh, uh, anybody that's had to put up with me along the way, uh, yeah, it all, it all started because uh, my dad knew how to do things the right way.
couple more quick questions on on your parents. First off, their names are? Uh, my father is Jerry. My mm -hmm. mom is Mary. Okay. Um, and then I was told at one point that your dad had a a baseball career that was cut short very quickly because of the Korean War. Is that true? That's true. Uh, my dad got out of high school and uh, uh, signed uh, a minor league contract with uh, the Chicago Cubs. Um, mm. But before anything really happened on that end, uh, he uh, joined the Marines. And as an 18-year-old, uh, he was in Korea. Uh, anybody who knows history of Korean War uh, knows the brutal cold of the chosen reservoir. Yeah. And so, uh, he was there. And, uh, when we were growing up, he never spoke much about it. Um, but we would over time ask some questions. Uh, and then when he finished with his, uh, stint, uh, in the Marines, then through the GI bill, he was able to go to uh, college and there was a, small college in uh, East Orange, New Jersey, not there anymore, called Uppsala College. Uh, after he uh, went there, played football uh, and baseball, uh, he uh, was, was a football coach there for a little while. So uh, when Scott and I were young, uh, the head coach was John Hooper. And, and so uh, the Hoopers had two boys, John and Paul. So we, we got a chance to spend some time around the college football environment and go to basketball games at Uppsala College. So uh, we had some pretty great experiences as young guys. And did your father have a Purple Heart, does he? He does. Um, okay. You know, so again, from uh, what happened at the Chosen Reservoir, um, uh, you know, he, he uh, ended up... Uh, uh, in the, I think on a ship where, where maybe a grenade had gone off and he ended up, uh, unconscious and taken to the ship and, uh, had incredible frostbite. But, uh, through that, he has a, a purple heart. One of the, the, the proudest things, uh, that we can say about my dad. It's a pretty amazing story. Um, and one thing that, I'm left, I guess, just curious about is the Bradley name, whether it's yours or your brothers or your sons uh, or anyone in your family. That, that's a there's a, a reputation. That's a it's a brand name now in the soccer community. Where did the Bradley name come from? Was that the name that came from your dad's adopted parents or from his birth parents? Uh, neither. So that's uh, one of the great questions. So uh, uh, lost somewhere in all the records. And, and I tried uh, at one point to see if I could get a little information for him. And even when I did it, it wasn't of that much interest. But uh, uh, the family that raised uh, my dad and his brother, their last name was Stoltz. So when we were young, uh, we would go see uh, Grandma and Grandpa Stoltz, mm -hmm. who were wonderful people. Uh, uh, Grandpa Stoltz was a was a carpenter, and uh, my mother's father was a plumber. 
So my dad knew how to do uh, it all. He's a jack of all trades. And, and he always wondered why his boys couldn't keep up to him in that regard. But uh, we would sometimes say, how come your name is Bradley and their name is Stoltz? And, and when we were young, he never gave us a good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, you know, we, we, we understood that uh, that was a family that had taken uh, him in and had raised him. He loved them. He, he treated them absolutely like his parents. Uh, and again, the, 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 the story of his uh, real mother and father is, is more difficult to put together. Mm. I, I, like I said, I, I've done a little bit of research, so he and I have talked about it, and Scott and Jeff know a little bit about it, but it's not something that we talk about too much because, you know, at a certain point, uh, you know, I think it was quite, quite clear with my dad that uh, what mattered to him was, was that uh, once he met my mother, that uh, our family was, was going to come first, and that was always the way it was done. Yeah. Switching back quickly to soccer before we conclude here, and I appreciate you speaking for this long. Um, you've got Manchester United this weekend, uh, and their manager, obviously, is Jose Mourinho. Have you had any interactions with him over the years? I have, yeah. Um, uh, you know, Jose's come many times to the U.S., uh, and uh, Many of the tours that have been put together in the U.S. Uh, have been handled by Charlie Stilitano. You know that. Yeah. You 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 wrote an article about Charlie. Um, Charlie's one of my great friends. Uh, anytime I'm in the company of people who who in any way maybe say something uh, uh, about uh, Charlie that I don't like, I make it very clear right from the start. He and I have been friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's all on the table. Charlie is an incredible guy. Um, you know, he was all set to go to Columbia following uh, his brother Leo's footsteps. Uh, he came to visit Princeton. Uh, he and I had played against each other. Uh, he stayed with me on the recruiting trip, and uh, uh, the rest is history. Um, but uh, uh, Charlie... Uh, was responsible for bringing many teams here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie's still great friends with Sir Alex, Jose. And so, again, I, I had a chance to meet um, these guys. In fact, Jose, just to show you what kind of guy he is. Uh, uh, my oldest daughter, Kerry, who has done uh, some work with different teams. She she was the manager for the under-17 women's national team when, mm-hmm. when they played uh, – uh, in, uh, where was it? Azerbaijan, I think, uh, in their world championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, uh, director of soccer operations, uh, at UCLA for Jill Ellis and BJ Snow. Um, Carrie works for Exos now. She handles the Google account for, for Exos. Okay. Um, but in some of those summers, Carrie, um, would handle the logistics for, uh, Inter Milan or Real Madrid mm-hmm. when they were training at UCLA. And then the one summer they went from the West Coast to the East Coast and she went with Inter because they still needed help. And so a funny story is that uh, after the World Cup, Real Madrid was training at UCLA and, and I, you know, Charlie had said, you should come. You know, Jose would love to see you. Yeah, no problem. So I, I go and 
I get there and I go quietly in on the one side and I just want to watch training and uh, Jose's on the other side of the field and he comes, he, he must see me and he comes over right away. And he said, uh, uh, great job in the World Cup. You guys were unlucky. Sometimes you need luck. Um, but I thought the team was very good. And he hesitated for a second. And then he goes, and your daughter's a great girl. <laughs> nice. And so, you know, this is, uh, this is a, a guy with a lot of personality. He's clever. He's, he's smart. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that's, that says a lot about Jose that people don't always, uh, don't always see. So, nice. uh, yeah, I, I've enjoyed, uh, the opportunity at different times, uh, to, to get to know these guys a little bit. I don't, think that any i don't call any of them great friends but uh with guys like jose and and sir alex uh when you you're around them they treat you like great friends so Mm -hmm. that says a lot about who they are yeah i wanted to wrap up uh just by asking now that the first american manager has been hired in one of the top five european leagues some of us are wondering who the next u.s manager might be in a top league over there how close do you think we are, and who do you think are some of the candidates? I think uh, U.S. soccer, American soccer, I think it continues to grow in all ways. And mm-hmm. We always have to uh, earn respect. That's players, that's coaches, that's referees, that's journalists, you name it. Um, but I certainly think that... Uh, we will see more and more people choose uh, opportunities in different countries. Uh, again, you have somebody like David Wagner, mm-hmm. who's doing a very, very good job at Huddersfield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there are different guys that quietly have worked in Europe for a long time, uh, have done good work. Uh, so again, it might be a name that, that people don't recognize that much. Uh, and then there's, there's all sorts of guys. I mean, Greg Berhalter, Greg Berhalter had, uh, an opportunity to, to work for two seasons, I think at Hammersby. Right. And then, you know, he's certainly somebody who's motivated, but, uh, you know, I, I think, that uh, there are there are many coaches in the, in the U.S. who have the talent, and and then it's just, do you get the opportunity? Uh, I guess sometimes do you take the risk? You know, there's different factors on how you get jobs, yeah. whether it's home or abroad. So, uh, uh, you, you know, you never know where the the next opportunity will come. So, so again, I would certainly expect that uh, there'll be more down the road. Well, Bob Bradley, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you for this long. Congratulations, good luck, and thanks for speaking to the podcast. Good. Thanks for having me on. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. 
Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.